Hello, and welcome to the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. I'm your host, Francis Johnson, and I'm so glad you've joined me today. This season, we are focused on the experience of women in the workplace. And as we've heard, women are facing a lot of challenges when it comes to professional opportunities, balancing family and work obligations, advancing to executive leadership, and more. But we've also heard some great advice and some solutions for the unique challenges women face in the workplace. And that is what we're going to talk a little bit more about today. Joining me today is Kate Conyus, Director of Business Communication at the David Eccles School of Business and a professor in the Management Department. Her teaching currently includes courses on managing diversity and business communication, and she also offers equity, diversity, and inclusion consulting through the Executive Education Department. Kate is also author of the book, Opportunities and Challenges of Workplace Diversity. Kate, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you so much, Francis. I'm excited to be here. Well, Kate, we've heard a lot of disappointing statistics this season when it comes to women's experiences in the workplace in particular, but every story has two sides. So why don't you start off by telling us some of the things we have to be optimistic about? There's so much to be optimistic about. I like to kind of consider myself a problem solver in this area of DEI. We all know there are problems and they're really specific, important problems, but there is some optimism. First, you know, I'm a professor in the business school and I have this amazing opportunity to see these young women. Specifically, we can talk about my undergrads. Even in my class this week, they just blew me away. They are so articulate. They're so motivated. They want to be entrepreneurs, amazing writers, public speakers, critical thinkers. And so they motivate me every single day. So the optimism is there in the classroom. Also with my MBA students, these women are also amazing entrepreneurs. They're problem solvers. So they also motivate me. So in terms of just my job, I'm motivated every day and I see optimism every single day. The other things I'm involved with in terms of executive education at the David Eccles School of Business is the Women in Leadership Certificate Program. And those women in those classes are phenomenal. And, you know, I teach public speaking over there and persuasion, and I have other colleagues teaching other topics like mindfulness. But those women are networked, they are motivated, they're inspirational. So I see a lot of optimism as well there. Um, Amazing programs like Women Who Succeed. So I see women coming together on their own, forming their own companies to empower younger women, empower each other. I think it's really clear to all of us, whatever age we are and whatever stage we are in our careers, that it's really young people, young professionals, young alums of the Eccles School who are driving so much change about how we work, where we work, when we work, even why we work. And that is a great thing for all of us to look to with, I think, a lot of admiration for them and a lot of optimism that they will continue to really educate us and push us forward in creating these more diverse and more inclusive workplaces. Well, Kate, the title of your book includes both opportunities and challenges when it comes to this kind of diversity work and creating inclusive environments. So let's start with the opportunity side. I think Chief Diversity Officer is one great example. 
what other opportunities do companies and organizations have that they can really leverage and capitalize on to create inclusive workplace environments? Well, Francis, the research on this topic is really clear. This is from a Harvard Business Review article from 2023. And there are just a few statistics I wanted to share. The author talks about how organizations that foster strong allyship, like you said, and inclusion have employees that are 50% less likely to leave. That's one statistic, right? How expensive it is, right? That turnover can be so expensive. So when you have this inclusive workplace, it's less expensive for the company. 56% more likely to improve their performance overall, the organization, 75% less likely to take a sick day. These are the employees, right? So if they're feeling inclusive, they're 75% less likely to take a sick day. That's an amazing statistic. The other one is the employees are 167% more likely to recommend their organization as a great place to work, right? So these are some statistics where if you have a diverse workforce and you manage it effectively, then you are going to have a competitive advantage, right? Not only is it the right thing to do, but it's also a competitive advantage in terms of business. The whole idea around diversity, equity, inclusion, and it's pretty simple, is that you wanna make sure that every single employee in your organization has a sense of belonging so they can bring their whole selves to work. It's that simple right? It's it's a simple sentence to say, but there's a lot of things you need to do as an organization. We'll get to that later. So that happens, right? In a systemic way. But really, it becomes this idea of everyone should be able to bring their whole selves to work, right? And they shouldn't have to hide part of their identity. That's the biggest problem. And usually when they're hiding part of their identity, it is connected to diversity, right? So if it's women, they may hide their pregnancy. I had many women Many of my friends hide their pregnancy, and I did as well. I I hate to say that, but that was a long time ago. If they're LGBTQ, they may be hiding that part of their identity, right? If they're trying to get back in the workforce, they may be hiding their age. They may not feel comfortable talking about their religion. They may have a disability that they're not comfortable talking about. So there are so many things that people are hiding. Oftentimes, they're connected to diversity. So we want to make sure people don't feel like they need to hide anything. We need to create a sense of belonging through initiatives, clear DEI initiatives systemically within organizations so people can bring their whole selves to work. Well, let's talk about those initiatives because I think one thing that we've talked about this season and I think a common problem in this area is that we can't just hire diverse people and then say that we have a thriving, diverse workforce. We actually need to support those people through the culture of our organizations, through our initiatives, our processes, our attitudes, to realize those benefits that you said earlier, right? 167% more likely to recommend where you work is astounding, but that's only going to be if you were not only hired as a diverse person, but if you were welcomed as a diverse person. So talk to us a little bit about what companies need to do to not just hire for diversity, but to really incorporate that diversity and diverse voices into their corporate culture and their decision-making. So this is what I do in terms of when I consult for companies. I take them through my model. I have a model. It's chapter three of my textbook. It's called the Integrated Model of uh, Managing Diversity. And we look at all the aspects of managing diversity so that it becomes systemic, 
So we don't want to have diversity where it's superficial, where you just have one initiative, or you talk about it in terms of just having one value. It has to be everywhere in the company. So what we talk about when I consult is the first thing is leadership, 100%. Your leader, your CEO has to be on board morally and financially. That is number one. They also have to be able to speak with their own voice on diversity. So they may have a chief diversity officer, and that's great. That's important as well. But they themselves have to be able to talk about diversity in a very eloquent, authentic way. So it's very, very important. The other thing is you have to look at leadership in terms of the board of directors. Are you trying to create a more diverse board of directors, which can be tricky, but at least is there a diversity kind of goal to do that? I think that's important. The other thing is looking at the executive level, like who's there? Who are making the decisions? I think that's really important in terms of diversity. Who are the people making the decisions? You have to have diversity in those areas. So you have to do an analysis really of the leadership. And, you know, I challenge everyone who's listening to this, you know, think about the businesses you work in and think about the CEO. And is there a clear statement on diversity on your website? Is there a video of that person talking about DEI and the strategies behind DEI? So that has to be there. The other thing we talk about is organizational communication. It has to be clear organizational communication on your website, that is the first place people go still. Generation Z still goes to the websites, right? So it has to be clearly articulated on a diversity page. There has to be diversity talked about on the careers page. That's critical. Also social media. That's kind of a secondary thing in terms of the social media, but the clear communication around around diversity. I'm hoping, Kate, you can talk a little bit more about what we can do as individuals to really advocate for ourselves and to be part of paving the path a little bit, being proactive to be part of helping create these inclusive company cultures? Well, you know, this kind of goes back to this idea of allyship, right? And allyship is really tied closely to LGBTQ issues in the workplace, where it's this idea of if you're an ally, right, you need to be at the table doing the hard work for some more marginalized voices, right? So if you're an ally, when you have the position of power. So we don't have to put all the stress on people who might be struggling to become their whole selves at work, right? So it's the same with women, right? So I think that putting pressure on women to voice themselves, I am all about voicing yourselves. You know, I try to teach it in my classroom, but I do think it's a responsibility of other women and other people right, men, in the company to be allies so that women don't have to kind of feel like they're alone to advocate for themselves. People are already doing it for them. So, you know, an ally is, you know, the definition is a person who supports diversity and wants to learn more, right? So it's that person who is supportive, that person who participates in DEI initiatives and who is there for other people. But sometimes those allies, if they do have more power, they can speak on behalf of those with less power. So I think that's important, right? I mean, I really do. And there's an article that just came out in the Harvard Business Review. It talks about the shift from allyship in the workplace to activist. So if I have the platform, I've been at the business school for 25 years full-time at this point, and I do feel like I have the platform now to say what I want and to be an activist for students, for my LGBTQ students, for young female students, and I have that power of, you know, people respecting me 
And I want to help them make the change so they don't feel like they have to come out and do all that the hard work. I think that's a mistake. So an activist in a company is someone who is working hard to solve problems for these marginalized voices, and they take action, right, to to solve these problems. So I think the difference is for allyship is I'm here to support you versus activism is we're in this together. As I'm sure you know, one of the values of the Eccles School is empathetic global citizenship. And I would love to hear from you, Kate, what role you think empathy plays in this? You know, part of empathy is this desire to learn. I want to learn about people who are different from me, and that helps me develop a sense of empathy towards them that then hopefully impacts my actions towards them and my actions in situations where I can be an activist or even a sponsor for them. Talk to us a little bit about the role of empathy in this work of equity, diversity, and inclusion. Well, empathy is a quality of great leadership, right? So empathy really, in my mind, if you want to create this ethos of empathy, has to come from the top. And it's so important. And I talk about leadership so much, and we do case studies on all the CEOs and chief diversity officers. But it really, the, the CEO has to show empathy toward human beings, right? And there are some characteristics of kind of an inclusive leader, you know, whether they have to have some courage, they have to back up what they're saying with actions, right? So we have some famous CEOs who will march in women's marches or march in a pride parade, right? So it's showing like, I'm talking about it, but now I'm going to do it. Also, in terms of that leadership, they need to know their leaders, their kind of DEI shadow. That's what they call it. How people view them as a leader in light of DEI. And so there's all this stuff in terms of great inclusive leadership, and empathy is one of those characteristics. And empathy also is connected with high levels of emotional intelligence. So that's very, very important. And that has to then trickle down to the next level, right, which is management. That has to be there as well. And there can be training on empathy. That's another diversity initiative. You can have training on empathy, what that even means to have empathy, and just kind of understand where people are coming from. They were doing this study and just little things that people probably never thought of. But if you're being empathetic and you're really trying to kind of understand where women are in the workplace and how hard it is, and, you know, when women say, I'm exhausted, I hear that constantly. I mean, Almost every day I hear this kind of culture of exhaustion. They're kind of trapped in this push-pull. They also, you know, it's this kind of overall culture of working ourselves to death in the United States, right? That's up there. And then you have the push-pull. And you have this exhaustion. And I think a lot of people just want a break. And there's a lot of research that's saying that right after COVID or during COVID, a lot of leaders had empathy. And then... All of a sudden, you know, when things are getting better, this empathy that they had is going away, but we still need it, right? There's still issues of mental health. There's still issues of physical health, right? So this empathy can take so many, so many forms. You have to come together as an organization and your leadership has to be behind it. I think COVID was such an interesting time because it really leveled the playing field. We were all just in the same situation, regardless of our level in the company, regardless of our experience, even to some extent, regardless of our family situation, we were all stuck at home, just stressed out all the time about what was happening. 
And it really gave all of us a window into what other people's lives were like and gave people a window into what our lives were like. I've been married for 12 years and I have never been able to explain my husband's job. I still can't really. But during COVID, I was like, oh, interesting. You know, I start hearing these different terms and I kind of understood for the first time what his day was like, what pressures he was facing, what kind of work he was doing. And similarly, I think for him, it was kind of a light bulb thing of I came back into the workforce after eight years at home with my kids and I wasn't working full-time during COVID. And I think it was kind of a light bulb for him of like, oh gosh, laundry doesn't just like wash itself and, you know, meals don't just appear on the table and kids don't teach themselves how to read. Like this is a lot of work, you know? And it was a great opportunity, I felt like, for us to really come together with a better understanding and then say, how can we support each other more fully and more effectively? And I think companies have that opportunity as well, but we just have to remember, right? We have to remember the empathy that we felt in that moment and really carry it on, understanding that a lot of those stressors are still part of our everyday lives and responding to those with empathy, even as we move past that kind of crisis that brought us all together for that amount of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely not over. You know, there's a lot of issues, right? So even with my students, I teach a fully in-person class and, you know, they need to get in the classroom, right? They need to interact with other people. It's better for their mental health. And, you know, they're kind of like used to this, oh, fully online or hybrid. But I'm thinking this is a fully in-person class. It is so good for you. You know, so I think there are some issues that even I'm seeing, right? So issues of depression and anxiety and and things like that. They're the same in the workplace, right? So the things that were happening in COVID are still lingering. So this empathy that we had in COVID where everyone was, the leaders were just like, okay, this is so, you know, I'm just going to support you. This is a crisis. We have to understand that some of this is still lingering and we have to be empathetic to everyone in our company from the, you know, leadership all the way down. And I think that that is a very empowering kind of model. And I I mean, I try to model that in the classroom as well, right? Just this idea of you never know what people are going through. And I know that's a cliche saying, but it really is true. You have to have that compassion for other human beings and that kindness. And there is this kind of literature now on kindness in the workplace. So yes, DEI is a competitive advantage when you do it correctly, when you hire people who are diverse and you manage them well. And you create a lot of initiatives, it is a competitive advantage. It's also this idea of let's be kind, right? (laughs) Let's allow people to be themselves at work. And I think that's important. So I am the faculty advisor for Out for Business, which is LGBTQ group here in the business school, which is an amazing group. They're so productive. I can't keep up with all of the things we're doing, like trainings and (laughs) guest speakers and socials. But one of the things I do is like I have the pride flag hanging in my window because I want other students to know like there's a safe place. If you're not feeling comfortable or you're new here, there's a safe place. And then I can introduce them to this Out for Business organization. Well, Kate, I love how effusive you've been about your students and just the great skills and attitudes and 
belief systems, confidence, all the great things that they're bringing to the classroom that they will bring to the workplace in the future. What do you hope the workplace looks like for them in 5, 10, 20 years? What do you hope for them as they become our next generation of business leaders? I hope to see some of my students I have right now in leadership positions. I mean, they are so amazing. I hope they never lose their spirit. So, you know, in order for that to happen, right, we have to have intentional strategies in the workplace following when I attempted to talk about my integrated model, right? That has to be working on all levels, recruiting, retention, you know, metrics, leadership, communication, outreach to the community, so many different levels. So people can walk in, these women can walk into these organizations and feel that I have a sense of belonging. I can be a leader and I can have a family if I want to, if that's a choice. It doesn't matter, right? That's just a piece of it. But I can feel empowered. I can see myself as a leader in this organization. These organizations have to be welcoming to women. So there needs to be ERGs, women ERGs. There should be structured mentoring programs. Sponsorship should be valued, even though it can be controversial. It should be valued 100%. We have to have parental leave for the 100th time. (laughs) You know, it has to be paid, (laughs) paid, paid paid parental parental leave. leave. For the people in the back. If the federal government is not going to do that, then companies have to do it. Other companies are doing it. You know, Facebook is doing it. Notice the companies that are doing it, the ones that don't have enough women. They're luring the women in with all these great benefits, right? So Amazon, Facebook, Adobe all have these amazing benefits, but they're all in the tech, right? So this is how they're trying to be persuasive. So women have to feel confident if they want to have a family in this country, They feel confident that they have the time to recover and to feel good coming back into the workplace. It's so important. And I've talked about it before, right? The whole idea of childcare. There has to be better childcare options. And that has to be more of an economic issue where we are valuing our childcare providers. They are considered teachers. They get benefits. They get paid well. This whole model has to change. We need some help from the federal government. Hopefully, it's not a top five issue right now, but it should be, right? It should be up there with AI, which is like everyone's talking about that, and they're having all these summits about it. But this issue of childcare should be up there because if that were working, then families would be more comfortable and they'd be able to do their work better, right? So I'd also like to see increases for women in the Fortune 500 companies. (laughs) I would love to see, you know, 50%. I'd love to see women be 50% in graduate programs like MBA, business specifically, right? We need more women in MBAs, although we do have high percentages, especially in our online because it's more flexible. We have a wonderful high percentages there. I think it's almost 50%, but also in the other ones. It would be amazing. Even 40%. Yeah. I'd like to see 100% of Fortune 500 companies have chief diversity officers, things like that. So those percentages kind of going up because women want to work. They want careers. And so we just need to make it so that they feel empowered and the kind of the sense of belonging where they can be themselves and bring their whole selves to work. And I love that you call this an integrated model, Kate, because I really think that all of these factors impact the others so much, right? Childcare isn't an isolated issue. Parental leave isn't an isolated issue. That these initiatives, these policies have really a cascading effect 
on women, on families, on all employees. And again, you know, going back to what we said in the very beginning, this is a complicated, multi-layered issue that requires a very integrated response that recognizes all of the different pressures that we might be feeling as people and as women in the workplace. Well, Kate, to close our time here today, I would love to hear from you a piece of advice that you wish you had as you were starting your career. If you could go back in time, what would you tell yourself? I would probably tell myself that if I could go back in time, I would probably reassure myself that I would have a massive network of women. And I always have had that, you know, like growing up, you know, in high school, I had a group of women. I'm still friends with them. You know, 10 women from high school were still friends. Got my master's degree, friends with those women I met there, PhD, friends with them. But kind of reassure myself that moving through my life, that professionally, you know, within the business school, I have a strong network of women, colleagues, and also personally that you'll have this because that has always been a priority, but how critical it is when you start when you're, you have any challenges in your career, any challenges as a parent, any challenges with your parents, elderly parents, like you will, looking back, I would probably assure myself, like one of your priorities is really going to help you throughout your life, which is having a massive network of amazing women in your life to support you, right? Including my mother, of course, my sister, but you know, just through my life, that's a priority I've always made. And it has been a lifesaver in terms of kind of navigating the challenges in the workplace as well as at home. So I think looking back, I would assure myself that that was a good thing to do. And also just doing the hard work has been one of my things that I've always done and trying to do the hard work, trying to do what's right and helping others, trying to always be a part of these networks where you know, I'm helping other women or young women, making sure that, you know, I'm helping people and doing my job as an ally that I take very seriously and as an activist within my organization. Kate, I'm so thankful to you for joining me today, for sharing the data, but also your own personal and honest perspective and story. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Francis. It's been very enjoyable and I love speaking with you. Anytime would be great. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. I hope we all feel a little more empowered to be part of creating workplaces and communities that are inclusive and where everyone feels like they belong. We'll be back next week with our final episode of the season. Be sure to tune in and learn more about how the Eccles School is preparing students to thrive in diverse workplaces. You won't want to miss it. You can also follow us on Instagram at Eccles Alumni for all the latest news from your Eccles Alumni Network. Until next time, Eccles Business Buzz is a production of the David Eccles School of Business and is produced by University FM.